Good evening. If you are visiting with us, we welcome you. It is good to be together this Sunday evening. What a wonderful time of worship we've had. And hopefully and prayerfully we'll continue to have. And then after this, to be able to eat ice cream together and enjoy each other's fellowship. Uh, be sure and make your plans to stay and be a part of that. And let's enjoy being able to visit and be together. If you would be opening your Bibles to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, in just a moment, we'll be studying from Ephesians, the sixth chapter. We will not have slides tonight, but that is on page 1041 in your pew Bible, 1041. We are glad to have Jeremy Burkhardt and Matt Collins back from a mission trip. They've been uh, just across the border in Mexico doing mission work for the last several days, and we are glad that they are home safely and appreciate those young men and the great uh, work that they've been a part of and the great young men that they are. Uh, we love our young people, uh, the youngest ones up to the, to the oldest ones of our young people. And we are thankful that they're a part of our lives and part of the life of this congregation. And we look forward to sharing in their life in Vacation Bible School this coming week. It's amazing to think about this year that Vacation Bible School will actually be spread across three facilities. From the 1940 location, to the 2040 location, then to the community center. Uh, God gives us a lot of opportunities. He gives us a lot of resources to work with. And it's exciting to see how God is blessing and prospering uh, what we've set our hands to do. And let's make sure we always live in God's will uh, so that only He is the one to receive the glory. And we definitely want to live to receive uh, the glory from Him. Keep in mind that uh, next Sunday night, seven, seven days from now, we'll begin... Uh, 48 hours of leadership experience we're calling Chisel for our high school and college age young men. So if you will, at least by Wednesday night, let us know if you're planning on being a part of that. It'll begin next Sunday night immediately following services and it'll close at about 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock on Tuesday evening. And you'll be going to about 12 different places and we'll show you resources that you ought to know about here in the Middle Tennessee area and learning some valuable lessons from that also. Just want to encourage our young men uh, to have every resource that they need to be able to uh, to be the leaders that the Lord needs in his kingdom. And, and that's our goal in that is, is to spend some great time in, in encouraging and building our young men. We want to remind each of you, it's been announced, but the door knocking that's been announced for the Salem Church of Christ, do remember to sign up for that. There's a list at the Welcome Center and Jamie Harper is preaching there and he is organizing this door knocking. It is August the 1st and 2nd. It's Friday and Saturday. And so if you can come and be a part of either one of those days, be sure and, and try to fit that into your schedule. If that's something that God's given you the ability to do and you have the strength to do, see if that's something that you can work in uh, to encourage that great congregation there. Also keep in mind, there are very attractive postcards out at the Welcome Center uh, advertising our VBS. And so if you need those to pass on to people this week, uh, be sure and be doing that. We've been looking at a series through Ephesians, our life and our heritage in Jesus Christ. If we are living our life in Christ, we can expect tremendous heritage. A great gift is going to be given to us. If Christ is living in us, we can expect our life to be very different from what it would be otherwise, but also even different from the world about us. What we study tonight will be absolute proof that if we are a faithful child of God, our life is going to be so different. And so I want to begin tonight by just asking you, do you plan to have Christ living in you? Do you see your life as, as spiritual living and then separate and apart, there's secular living. There's physical life. 
Now, there are a lot of people that view life like that, and that's what Christ calls hypocrites. It's individuals that think that there's a place for spirituality. It falls under the realm of religion. But once they leave the religious people, once they leave a a worship service, they go back out into, quote, the secular world, and they live like the secular world. Tonight, we'll study a topic where Paul is writing to the brothers and sisters at Ephesus, and he is urging them to do something that no one would do by the natural person. The only way anyone would do this is if they were a spiritual person. And so tonight, we think about the right way to work. You know, we live in a right-to-work state. That's where we have a right at our workplace to choose whether or not we want to support a union. Well, we're not talking about right-to-work, but we are talking about the right way to work. And it's not something that some of us sat down and said, I wonder how a Christian ought to work. This is where the Lord, in writing by inspiration through Paul, tells us, this is exactly the principles that I want you to have in mind. He uses the terms here for a bond servant, an individual that because probably of debt that they have accumulated, they had to go to work for another person until their debt was paid off. Today, the principles that we see that are taught to the bondservant would be principles, no doubt, that would be proper to apply to us as Christians where we think about going to work. How do you view work? You know, when we think about some of the things that have been said about work, we think about Tennessee Ernie Ford's song, You load 16 tons and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. Uh, We see bumper sticker after bumper sticker. I owe, I owe, so it's off to work I go. Someone else used to sing this song. Up in the morning, out on the job. Work like the devil for my pay. Fuss with the woman, toil with my kids. Work till I'm wrinkled and gray. Boy, that's a beautiful way to view life, isn't it? 97,760. What do you think that number is? 97,760. If you view work to be negative, if you view work anything like we've just read here, I can tell you what 97,760 is. It's the number of hours that not only are you miserable, but you're a sorry example of what a Christian ought to be. Because when the Lord speaks about work, He speaks about it being very positive. He speaks about it being a stage, if you will, for Christians to exemplify the true meaning of Christianity. Friends, I don't mean to to belittle or undermine the importance of worship. I don't guess we could overemphasize the importance of worship. But if our idea is this is where we prove our Christianity, we have really fooled ourselves. It's not very hard to sit inside these walls and live like a Christian. Tomorrow morning, when you're surrounded with the secular world, the question then is, are you going to be a Christian? Those 97,760 hours are hours that the Lord has given us to live the Christian life, and it'll be noticed, and it will impress It'll cause some to mock and make fun, but it'll cause a lot of other people to say, I see something different about that individual. As we look to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, I'd like for you to look with me beginning at verse five. 
Notice these principles. And as we're reading through these principles, I'd like for you to take note how each of these principles are taught, tying the teaching back to the fact that we do it as if we're doing it to Jesus Christ. It's amazing to me how every one of these verses cannot be taught without going back to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart, as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Now let's pause right there at that point, even though that, that's just a comma there. Uh, let's, let's see the three points that are spoken of here as he is trying to get the bond servants to understand what their responsibility is. Now keep in mind, there would be individuals that could honestly say tonight, I'm in a predicament at work because I really am in a very, very difficult place. Maybe there's people that are constantly stirring up strife. Maybe the work itself has become an overload and is stressful. Friends, I don't think that, that uh, we can ignore the fact that there are some real situations that have to be dealt with in the workplace. But I also have to remember the setting that's given here. Can you imagine how some masters must have treated bond servants? Can you imagine how some masters probably looked in anything that was the leftover aggravating work that nobody in the household wanted to do? None of the hired employees wanted to do it. Oh, I tell you what. Just let the bond servant do that when he comes in today. Let the bond servant do that when she gets in today. Nobody else likes that kind of work. Can you imagine how the bond servant was probably oftentimes mistreated? Now, does Paul go in there and say, since you're a Christian bond servant, what's the answer going to be? Isn't it powerful that he says in verse 5, the third word, bond servants? Be obedient. There's no condition in there. It's that simple. Be obedient. Why are we going to be obedient? Notice he says there, it's with great fear and trembling. In other words, the obedience is going to carry with it a great level of respect. You know, the thing that is interesting to me, that, and, and I'm not saying that it's easy to address, but yet sometimes we need to tap tackle the tough issues. What do you do when an employer is not deserving of our respect? You see, this very same question also comes up when you read the sixth chapter in verse two. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of promise. What do you do when your mother or father is not worthy of honor? I would think that the righteous answer to that is this. The command here is not honor the ones that are worthy. You see, honor is a choice we make. Tonight, I can choose to honor you no matter what you say or do. I can still show you respect. For a year, two years now, as we've been studying through passages like this, You've heard me say, the teaching that we have in the Bible, and this is a perfect example of it, 
We do not treat others because of who they are or what they have done. We treat others based on who our God is. That is so important. And so here, it doesn't matter with the bond servant. He's not saying, I tell you what, I want you to honor them. I want you to obey them. And I want you to do it with great respect because they're such a great master. No, instead, look at the end of verse 5. It's in a sincerity of heart as to Christ. So here maybe is someone that doesn't deserve our honor and our respect, but yet he says obey them. Why? Because you're going to obey them. Sincerity of heart, singleness of heart. You're going to obey them not because it's single toward them. You're going to obey them because your heart is single towards Christ, and you're going to obey them because Christ has asked you to do that. Are we submissive to authority at work? Are we submissive to the authority at work as if Christ himself were the very one that asked us to do that? You see, the standard is to Christ. Now, when we think about the obedience, then we've touched on it right there, but he really goes to the heart of what's the motive for that. Look at the very next verse in verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Eye service. Isn't it amazing how some things just never change? Many of the ways we are as a human race, we've been that way apparently for thousands of years. You mean to tell me that back in the New Testament times, there were people that had workers, and the workers would kind of uh, dilly-dally around and not really do anything until they saw the boss coming. And when the boss was coming, oh, it's men-pleasers, it's eye service, let me get busy again. He's saying, hey, when you work, you don't work looking to see whose eyes are on you. You don't even work to see what people, people you can please. Instead, the motivation for work, as he says there, is because you're not actually a bondservant to that person. He says you're a bondservant of Christ. We have a debt that we owe Christ that we can never repay fully. But how many times in prayers and how many times in songs and how many times even in in our studies together we would say, but I'm going to try to pay that debt. I'm going to give my all to, I know I can never fully do it, but I want to serve Christ and I I want to pay toward my debt. All right? According to the teachings here, You and I tomorrow morning will have an opportunity to see if we're serious about paying the debt to Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for us and he says, here's something I want you to do. Notice how he doesn't separate secular and spiritual. He says, if you're spiritual, I want you to go to work tomorrow and I want you to work as if you were working for me. And if that's your motive, now you're showing spirituality. When we think about this obedience and we think about this motive, it's interesting that he even takes it one pretty large step further. Did you notice there in 7? We do it with goodwill. The word goodwill means kindness or benevolence. In other words, now we've taken it beyond doing what the person asked, and now we're doing something good beyond what the person has asked, with goodwill, doing service, and again, who is it to? 
It's like doing goodwill. It's doing something positive to the Lord and not to men. You know, sometimes we can do something because we think it's right and best, but yet we may not realize that we're doing it because it's teaching in the Scripture and sometimes it takes a long while to learn that it's teaching in the Scripture. I wonder how many of you in your, your business world, whether uh, you're an employee, and especially if you're an employer, you've probably learned this. It would be interesting if we could go around the room and, and hear the various stories of individuals that have been successful because they've lived by the and some rule. I remember when my roommate and I in college started our landscaping business. One night at supper, mom said, I want to tell you a story. If you're going to run a business, you need to know this. And she told the guy's name that ran a very successful business. And when asked how he succeeded at that business, he said, it's the and some rule. And so, of course, the uh, question was, well, what's the and some rule? The and some rule is when someone hires you to do a service for them or to do something for them, you do everything that they have hired you to do and then before you leave, you look around and you find some kind of good deed that you can do that they didn't pay for. And so that now you have done everything they've asked and some. I know we found in business that we couldn't do all the work individuals ask us to do whenever we operated a business by that simple rule. We're going to do everything you've paid us to do, and before we leave, we'll look around and we'll find at least one thing that's the and some that we'll do. Now, I thought that was brilliant. I saw it work in real life. But isn't it interesting that God was the one that gave it to us? God says, in verse 5, I want you to obey. In verse 6, I want your motive to be because you're a bondservant of Jesus. And in verse 7, he says, not only do I want you to obey them, but I want you to even do more good than what they would ever expect you to do in the first place. Now notice the payday. Look at verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord whether he's a slave or free. Does that excite you? Does it excite you to think that what you will hear on the day of judgment will be tied with how you worked in the secular world? Or does that scare you? You see, what he's teaching here is that the greatest payday for being a spiritual employee is not going to come on Friday. The greatest payday is going to come on the day of judgment when an individual is rewarded because they obeyed as if they were obeying Christ. They served as if they were a bondservant of Christ and they did extra as if they were doing... Because someone said, I just can't stand the thought of doing extra for my employer. He, he or she's unfair. Notice the verse there. We're not doing it for them. We're doing the extra. We're doing the goodwill because we're serving the Lord. We're doing the goodwill for the Lord. And then the Lord says, the great payday great payday is not from man. The great payday is from the Lord. But then as we wrap this up, notice how he flips this over in verse 9. And for one verse, he speaks to what we today would liken to the employer, or he speaks to the masters in 9. He says, you masters, do the same things to them. You see, that's why he can write this in a much shorter, uh, just one verse, verses four verses here, because he, he just begins by saying, all of those principles that I've just taught them, masters, you need to learn the same thing. That is, you obey because you're obeying the Lord. 
your motive for the way you work for people is because actually you work for the Lord. And remember, the greatest payoff is living a life where the Lord can prosper and bless that life. And so now he, he begins verse 9 by saying that. And then he says, do the same things to them, giving up, threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Again, it amazes me how things have not changed. Back in that day and time, there must have been a lot of employers, a lot of masters that thought the way to get something done is to strong arm and threaten someone. And the Lord says, I want to talk to you that are Christians. That's not the way to work with people. The way to work with people is to stop the threatening and work with them as if you were working with the Lord. How does a Christian live at work? I don't think God ever intended for the Christian to go to work and, and be that loudmouth Christian that all they talk about all day long is God so that, so that people are just turned off and, and it's like they're bragging all the time about the Christianity. Actions Actions are far more important than the words. I don't think the Lord expected us to nag to where we're all the time begging people around us to live a godly life. I want to tell you something that I have never understood and sometimes I feel like I'm on an island all by myself. But it amazes me the number of Christians that expect the world to live like they live. We don't serve the same master. We don't follow the same law. We don't believe in the same life. We don't view eternity the same. Why do I expect somebody at the workplace or at school to not curse when they don't serve the Lord? Why do I expect them to be fair and honest? They don't serve the Lord. Why do I expect them to be kind or ethical? They don't serve the Lord. If they do, that's great. But I've never understood why someone who serves the Almighty nags at someone else and says, hey, don't cuss. Don't cuss around me. Wouldn't it be a lot better to in private somewhere tell them about the Lord and see if they would start living for the Lord instead of trying to pretend that they would live by the standard we live by? Friends, we don't find anywhere in the scriptures where Christians are to brag about their Christianity. They're not to nag about their Christianity. They're also not to lag about their Christianity. Listen, I can't go and demonstrate the faithful Christian life that's taught here and then be the slacker at work. It just won't line up. And you can guarantee it's not going to line up on the day of judgment. That's exactly what verse 8 was talking about. That's where the payment's going to come. And it's going to be a small paycheck for those that misunderstood it. This evening, let's determine in our mind who we work for. We can either work for Satan or we can work for the Lord. And let's make sure that when we go into work tomorrow, we declare to ourselves and to our God, I'm working for the Lord today. I'm going to obey the Lord. My motive is going to be because I'm a bondservant to the Lord. And I realize that even if on this earth the payment's not fair, there's coming a time where I'll be paid a lot more than what I ever deserve. Tonight, 
Do you have that heritage that's in Christ? We can only have that heritage in Christ if we lived our life in Christ. Have you been born into Christ, being baptized into Christ? Have, are you a believer willing to repent of sins and confess before men? Have you been uh, baptized into Christ? But you've lost your direction tonight. Let's make sure that we realize that spiritual life touches every vein of life. There's no way to categorize and set it apart as different. And tonight, if we can help in any way, have a life that lives and magnifies Christ 24-7, we would love to help you with that. If we can help you, come as we stand as we sing.